Thank you for listening to the Hillsview Men's Ministry. We are a group of men building relationships to equip and encourage each other. All right, well, Happy New Year. It's a, it's a strong showing for 2020. Awesome to see everybody out here this morning. Uh, beautiful sunrise, beautiful day. Um, if you weren't here last month, um, I started a series on discipleship and apologetics. Uh, so today, kind of the focus, what I'm looking at is kind of building some of the foundation work again for discipleship, uh, giving you some, some tools, equipping you guys if you've never been involved in discipleship, not really sure what that means, or uh, just trying to frame some of the, uh, some of the definitions, some of the terms, um, laying the groundwork, if you will, uh, and then hopefully inspiring and encouraging you to, to get involved with the other awesome men that we have at this church. Um, if you don't have a New Year's resolution, hopefully that'll be a goal for you this year to, to grow in your uh, spiritual walk, uh, encouraging others, um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Um, got a lot of things I'd like to cover uh, this morning, but I also want to um, respect your time. Um, so we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. If you want to join with me in prayer, um, we'll go to the Father. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for this beautiful day, the gorgeous sunrise. Uh, thank you for all these men. Uh, thank you for creating us in your image. Um, thank you for blessing us with minds to be able to, to learn about you. Thank you for the, um, the motivation for these men to set aside time and prioritize to, to talk um, and learn about you, to share in fellowship and encourage one another with other men. Um, we pray that your spirit would just fill our hearts, uh, renew and transform our minds, uh, conform our thoughts and our views uh, to your truth uh, in accordance with your word. Um, give us the courage to speak truth and love to those around us and uh, the people that, uh, the sphere of influence that we have, and bless this time that we have in uh, your son Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, awesome. Uh, so last time we, we kind, of, uh, kind of presented some of the skeptical issues you've probably heard before uh, regarding non-believers, people that uh, um, are either people that were involved in the church and have left. Um, we discussed some of the statistics. Um, the Barna group, a uh, very small percentage of professing Christians actually have a biblical worldview in accordance with eight different statements that they made uh, that they, they would affirm uh, regarding the basic doctrinal truths about Christianity and the, and the Bible. Um, so that, that kind of made me, made me think, um, some of the data I presented last time was a little bit dated um, from the early 2000s. Uh, so I went back and looked uh, from 2018 and uh, last year uh, to kind of get an update on some of the studies they've done. Um, and so I found this, I thought, thought it was interesting. 47% um, of millennials agree that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith um, with the hopes that maybe one day they'll share your faith, 47%. Um, and interestingly, if you look in the red, red box there, uh, at the same time, the same group of people, 73% said that they're very gifted at sharing their faith with other people. <laughs> A little disconnect there. That doesn't quite make sense. I'm not really sure what they're thinking to justify that kind of thought. But So they think they're really good at sharing their faith, but they don't want to share their faith with somebody that doesn't believe the same as they do. So... Just wondering, they just share with people they already know that agree with them, or sounds like lack of moral courage, I'm not sure, but just think that's interesting. But then 96% of them think that their faith, is, being a witness about Jesus, is extremely important. Um, 
So maybe they didn't understand the question. I'm not sure. Um, kind of another uh, continuation of the disturbing trend. So Generation Z, uh, if you're not aware, uh, folks that were born 1999 to 2015. Uh, so for the study itself, they just looked at 13 to 18 year olds, about 1,500 uh, people completed the survey. And a disturbing trend there, so you can see um, down at the bottom uh, with the color coding, uh, you've got 14% of people that um, in Generation Z that don't ascribe to any faith at all. They consider some what they call non-ers. 13% uh, are atheists, and then 8% are agnostics. Uh, so if you look at that compared to the other generation groups, it's a significant jump in uh, the folks that are either non-ers or uh, consider themselves atheists. Um, so it's about 35% of that generation based on this survey, um, compared to 30% and 20% as you go to the left there on the screen um, with the older generations having a smaller percentage. So it's just kind of a trend, a data point to consider. Um, and then another thing they uh, kind of where we left off last month um, with the Great Commission, Matthew 28. I hope everybody here is familiar with that. Maybe not some of the young gentlemen here, but uh, if you haven't heard of the Great Commission, uh, you're not alone because apparently 51% of churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is. They just answered, no, I don't know what that is. And then if you look at the rest of the pie chart, so 25% says, uh, yeah, I know what the Great Commission is, but I can't really recall exactly what it is. And then another 6% said they're not sure. So these um, people that responded to this were self-professed Christians, churchgoers, that regularly attended, at least once within the last six months. So if that's accurate, 82% of people that go to church don't know what the Great Commission is. Maybe it's a vocabulary problem, but um, just want to make sure everybody's aware the church exists to accomplish a mission, not the other way around. Um, we're all commanded as Christians to proclaim the gospel to all nations, um, and that's where we left off last month. So the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's the Great Commission. That's the mission that Jesus gave the disciples right before he left. His last words. Um, so we as men have a, a command, a God-given obligation to raise our children, uh, to be spiritual leaders in our homes, in our communities, um, to fulfill this, this command. And um, the reason I bring this up is because the way I think we do that is through discipleship and apologetics, um, as well as missions, which is a part of that. Um, so we can all be uh, disciplers, we can all reach out and share the gospel and evangelize to our communities, our sphere of influence. Uh, so Mitch and Ron, you know, they, they can reach out to a lot of folks, but there are people that you come in contact with each and every day in your neighborhoods, at your work, at your school, um, folks you know back home, Facebook, social media, whatever, um, people that you have an impact on that, you know, Mitch and Ron will, will never know. Um, so we all have an area of responsibility as far as that goes. Um, so like I talked about last time, before we go any further, um, I think it's helpful to kind of define some of the terms um, that are going to be helpful in the discussion about apologetics and uh, discipleship. 
Um, so, uh, my background is in humanities, uh, rhetoric and composition. I'm an English guy. Uh, I like words, I like literature, I like ideas, philosophy. Um, and words are really powerful. You know, people say sticks and stones, you know, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's not true. You read the Bible, it is full of verses about the power of the word and the power of words that have on your health, uh, your interactions with other people. Um, and so, an interesting thing as I studied language is that, and as this, I incorporate that with my study of, uh, of my faith, is that it's interesting, I also um, studied French, and uh, you, when you learn another language, you learn how English is set up and how messed up English is. <laughs> now the rules don't make sense, we have rules that aren't really rules, guidelines, um, but the interesting thing is you learn, you, I'm sure a lot of folks in the crowd have heard, you know, in Greek, they have four different words for the word love, and they all have a different word. We just have love. So it's like, well, what kind of love do you mean when, when you're talking in English? But um, So language actually provides some insight into a culture, into a people group, because it, it reveals what, what those people care about, where their values are, where their perspective is, because language actually allows you to frame how you understand concepts and ideas and how you can discuss things that matter to a people group. Um, and that all goes into worldview. Your worldview is um, deeply embedded with language. Um, and that's why I think it's important to have definitions, because like we talked about last time, if you define words differently, it changes the meaning, it changes how we understand concepts and ideas. So I just encourage you to, when people say things, don't just take them at face value and assume you know what they mean. Ask questions. Like, what do you mean by that? Just have people elaborate. That way we're all on the same page. So, um, last time I used the word worldview, I, I kind of felt bad because some people know what that means, some people don't, and it's really not a well-defined term. So this is kind of a mishmash definition I, I came up with, uh, taken from multiple sources, hopefully to give you a good idea of what worldview means or where I'm coming from when I, when I use the word worldview. So, it's, worldview is a comprehensive understanding of the world based on a set of presuppositions, which are assumptions which may be true, partially true, or entirely false, which we hold consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently, about the basic construction of reality, truth, knowledge, existence, and it provides a foundation on which we live, think, perceive, and believe. Our worldview is the lens through which we view life, which informs every decision and behavior we make every day. Okay, so when I'm talking about worldview, I'm talking about your overall assumptions about everything you believe at the foundational level. Some of those you are aware of, some that were not. Um, some you just grew up with and you assume they're true, which may or may not be. Um, and everybody has a worldview. Whether they think they have a worldview or not, they have a worldview. So they have a means by which they live their life, a way that they make decisions based on what they think is true, based on what they think is real, uh, based on what, what they think they can know or can't know, and it all affects uh, how we treat each other. Um, so if you've heard of Rabbi Zacharias, I think he does an awesome job explaining worldview, um, how to kind of understand it and analyze different worldview perspectives. So he breaks worldview down into four basic questions that every worldview has to answer in one, one way, shape, or form. And those are questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. 
So origin meaning, where do we come from? Meaning, what's the purpose of life? Morality, how do we treat each other? How do we determine what's right and wrong? And the destiny of you know, what happens to us after we die. You know, is there something or nothing? And then the way he, he lays it out um, to evaluate each of the answers to those questions that a worldview provides, or an individual provides, whether or not their, their worldview actually aligns with an official uh, worldview or religious worldview. In order for that worldview to be valid or non-contradictory or to not have systemic problems, um, I think he has a good, good framework here. So that worldview, the answers that you have to each of those questions, it needs to be logically consistent, needs to have empirical, empirical adequacy, experiential relevance, and then there has to be correspondence and coherence. Okay, so some of those words might be a little confusing to some folks, so I'll, I'll walk through them real quick. So logical consistency just means that it needs to be logically coherent. It can't have logical fallacies, can't be logically flawed, can't have assumptions that leap um, without any reasonable justification. Empirical adequacy. Uh, th this goes to evidence. This goes towards archaeology. This goes towards data. This goes towards what can we actually observe or look at to, to verify. Is what this person is saying, is there actually any truth to it? Is there any evidence of it? Because uh, there's some worldview perspectives out there where things conveniently go missing or conveniently are magically taken away, um, and there's no way to verify um, whether or not it actually happened or not. Uh, experiential relevance, that just means, does this actually explain, and is it applicable to my life? Does it make sense with what I experience in life? Does it, um, is it relevant to my personal experience as I go through life? Um, and then correspondence. Correspondence uh, goes towards, um, think of correspondence and coherence uh, like a courtroom. So when you're cross-examining witnesses, when you're uh, examining evidence, um, when people are making statements, they're, they're being analyzed um, based on their correspondence. Does the evidence line up or are there facts that are contradictory or timelines that are messed up that don't make sense? Uh, and the correspondence ties into the logical consistency, empirical adequacy, experiential relevance. Do all of those make sense? And the coherence is basically taking all of the answers to all of the questions and then do they make sense all together in a comprehensive way? Or are there systemic errors or um, flaws or, or fallacies involved in that? Um, so an example of that, and maybe make that a little bit more clear, in the Quran, uh, Islam basically denies that Jesus died and was resurrected. They deny that whole part. Problem with that is you've got Jewish historians, you've got Gentile historians, you've got Greek historians, Roman historians, all throughout history that say that Jesus was a person that he actually died. And there's lots of historical archaeological, archaeological evidence pointing to that that actually happened. So most historical scholars, uh, people that have studied intensely, uh, nobody really buys that Jesus, they all think he was a real person, um, they all think he really died. Um, so when you have a worldview that says that he didn't die, uh, kind of goes against the evidence. So that goes against the um, empirical adequacy factor there. And so it's not coherent, which creates a systemic problem with the worldview and should bring questions to the validity and the truthfulness of that worldview. All right. <clears throat> so 
Scripture is filled with uh, verses communicating the power of words, like I said before. So we just reference real quick. Um, there's obviously a ton more, but here's just a quick, uh, some quick highlights. So Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the power just of his word, speaking light into existence. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is active and alive, alive and active, sorry, uh, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, so this speaks to the, the very nature of the word of God, being alive, being active, and uh, <coughs> uh, the divisiveness of which what I think we've all experienced in families, uh, discussions, uh, persecution that goes on simply because people believe different things. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then later on, John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Um, so the, the power of the power of words. Um, so as you're engaged with discussions and conversations, I bring all that up just to be cognizant and try to raise your awareness that you need to be aware of what words people are using. Because um, some of the some of the cults and other belief systems use some of the same words we do, and then they use some other weird jargon or language. Uh, so you have to make sure you understand what exactly they're talking about, what definitions go along with those terms, in order to effectively communicate. To that person. Um, okay. Um, so moving on from there. Uh, so from worldview, once we have an, a worldview established, then moving into discipleship, how do we actually become a disciple? And then how do we make disciples? Because the, the, the format that Jesus has established with his church is basically make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Um, so it's not just converts. So we look up the definition of uh, what a disciple is. Uh, literally, it's just a learner or a pupil. Um, but more broadly, it's an adherent uh, to a, a person or an idea. And disciples often are seen as imitators of their teacher. Uh, the, the, the Greek word in the New Testament for disciple is um, methetes, I think. And the root word for that... Um, Basically means mental effort needed to to think something through. So it's a it's a mental exercise. It's not um, it's not just something where you can just go hang out and be, be with people. And um, it's something you have to work through. It's it's it's, um, it's a pro process uh, to actually be a disciple. It's it carries the the idea of training, the idea of uh, teaching, instruction, progressively learning the Word of God to eventually become a mature uh, disciple follower, fully understanding the truths of scripture and being able to correctly apply them to your life and then instruct others. So if we look at scripture, um, you know, where, where in the Bible does it talk about discipleship? Well, it's, it's all over the place. Um, it's clearly what we're supposed to do. It's clearly the model uh, we should be um, performing as Christians. Um, so in the red letters there, John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, if we're if we're truly <coughs> disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, people should recognize us by our love. Uh, should be the fruit that they can they can tell that we we're believers in Christ. John six sixty nine, 
this is Peter speaking uh, after a t- t- uh, teaching from Jesus where a lot of people left. Um, but Peter stands there and he professes, we've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So he, as a disciple, acknowledges the identity and faith and trust in who Jesus said he was. And John 8, 31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the, the critical point there is, if you hold to my teaching, then you are my disciples. So as we disciple and as we analyze our own worldview, our own belief systems, as we read the scriptures and interpret them, are we holding to his teachings? Going back to the third commandment, right? He said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Um, Luke 14, 27. If anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Okay, so these next few verses are kind of getting at what, what level of commitment are we talking about to be a disciple of Christ? Um, carrying, carrying your cross and following him um, is total, total surrender of yourself to, to the teachings of Jesus Christ above and all else. And if that didn't hit home enough for you, what that actually means, you can go to Matthew 10, 37 and 38, which says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think that makes it pretty clear what kind of level of commitment Jesus expected for his disciples. And it says something similar in Luke 9, uh, 23 through 25. Then it said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for me will save it. It is good for a man to gain the whole world, and yet lose or forfeit his very self. So as we're engaging in this um, discipline of, of discipleship and apologetics, what we're doing is building a foundation. Um, it, it requires asking a lot of questions, really analyzing what do I believe, why do I believe what I believe, and is what I believe really real, and how do I know? Um, it's not just an academic mental exercise because there are real-world applications, which is what I was trying to get at with some of the statistics from this time and last time, is that I don't think the church corporately has been doing a very good job at equipping our folks, specifically our younger, younger folks, with the answers when they go out to schools or academia or the media, they hear a lot of other messages, a lot of other assumptions, a lot of other worldview perspectives. And we need to be able to provide an answer uh, for the reason, for the hope that we have. And we have, they're out there. I think we just haven't done a very good job at communicating that and equipping folks with the answers to be able to defend their faith. And that's what I, that's what I hope um, this series will encourage you to um, dig in and, and get some of those answers. Um, so it really goes back to a, uh, a command in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, um, that we as men, we as fathers, um, leaders in the community, uh, should take to heart. Uh, this was a, this was for Israel, but I, I I believe this is also for us as a Christian church. Um, it says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So this verse is getting at how often should we be talking with the people we love, the people we're discipling, hopefully, our children, um, and other men around us uh, about spiritual truth, about God's word, equipping each other, encouraging one another. So it says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Now, I believe the Bible is, is true in a literal sense, but when you're interpreting scripture, you need to be careful of that because there's different types of, of scripture, right? So there's history, there's narrative, uh, there's poetry. Um, so it also says that Jesus was a door, right? But I don't believe that he's, you know, flat and made out of wood with a handle that you can, you can open, right? So <clears throat> what this is getting at, it's, it's, it's a metaphor, right? It's getting at... You need to be doing this all the time. It's a continuous thing. Um, so life has an inherent value, and that's kind of the unique thing about the Christian worldview perspective. Read Genesis says we were created in God's image, um, in his likeness, image Dei. Um, as far as meaning and purpose in life, um, I don't think it gets any better than that. If you read in Luke 20, 22 through 25, the spies were trying to trick Jesus into a, a false choice. And as you're sharing your faith, people will present these false choices to you. They'll be like, well, it has to be this or it has to be that. Well, no, no, look, look at what Jesus did here. So they asked him, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he saw through, the, through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now that's all that we hear from this. And then goes on to say that they were silent after that. You know, Jesus dropped the mic and walked out. Um, but if they were really seeking the truth, they should have asked a follow-up question here to Jesus. They should have asked, well, what is God's? And I think his response would have been something like, whose inscription is on you? Created in the image of God. Um, so that, these are ways to think about the, the importance of discipling other men, encouraging other men. Um, uh, a helpful thing I, I found uh, to think about it, um, there's three possible ways of discipleship, or three models, I guess, if you will, uh, that you can visualize. Uh, so you can either have a Paul, a Barnabas, or a Timothy in your life. So a Timothy is somebody that you're, you're just a little bit further down, down your spiritual walk, somebody that you can pour into, somebody you can mentor, somebody you can answer questions for. Um, a Barnabas would be somebody that can hold you accountable, a peer, somebody you can kind of bounce ideas off of or uh, challenge and encourage one another as iron sharpens iron, uh, and then a Paul would be somebody, somebody who's mentoring you, who's pouring into you, teaching you. Um, so I guess homework, homework for you guys, 
Um, if you're not already involved, um, diligently pray about people in your life. Try to think of a, another man that you could be involved in discipleship with. Somebody that can encourage you, somebody that can challenge you, somebody that maybe needs <coughs> mentorship or has questions or is struggling. That, that's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. Um, so I would just encourage you with that. Um, as a New Year's resolution, if you don't have one, there's something to think about. Um, we've got more, um, but in the interest of time, I'll go ahead and stop there. Uh, for the next lesson, um, planning on getting more into apologetics and some of the questions that uh, were issued before, I'll looking to address those as well as some of the other worldview perspectives and uh, common questions, um, such as the, the problem of pain. You know, how could a good God possibly allow such um, so much evil and pain and suffering in the world? Um, so we'll try to break that down and provide a couple different ways of responding to things like that. Um, but there are so many different topics uh, that are out there. So if you have something uh, that you've been struggling with or have questions about, please let me know, and I'll, I'll do my best to address that in next month's message. But thank you for your, your patience and attentiveness. And uh, God bless you guys. Wish you a great month. <laughs>